This is the AV Podcast Games Edition. Hello and welcome to the AV Forums Gaming Review Podcast. This is the April edition. I'm Steve Hill and joining me today are Mark Botwright. Hello, Mark. Evening, Steve. Leon Matthews. Hello, Leon. Evening. And Steve Carter. All right, Steve. We'll start with news. Uh, game. We spoke about game last week, so we won't go over old ground, but we will lead into uh, a few threads that have caught our eye on the forum. We'll be every month looking at threads and picking out the ones that have caught our eye. Uh, this month, digital distribution has been a hot topic of conversation as game have been going down the pan, as it were, um, and everyone's looking to the future and how we're going to buy our games in the future. Uh, Leon, there's been hot topics of conversation on the forum. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, in, in the game thread, um, the tone obviously changed. I mean, it's all it's all great speaking about a game and how much you don't like them and talking about a corporation, but the second the human element comes into it and people start losing their jobs, the, the tone changes and people start talking about different stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good to see them back on their feet as of today. Um, but definitely people, it's, it's sparked a larger conversation with people wondering how we are going to move forward, if games survive or not. Um, and Mr. DJ Sigma started up a thread called Dis- Digital Distribution Survey with three options. Uh, one being I'd love to buy all my games via digital downloads, death to discs. Uh, number two being I only buy cheap XBLA games via downloads, the rest are on discs. And the last one being I hate digital downloads. Um, I don't know, what, what do you guys think the results will be? Have you, have you looked or can I surprise you with them? I've looked, I've seen the results, um, I can tell you how I voted as well, I'll let you break it down though. Okay, um, so basically everybody who would love to buy everything by digital downloads, that's 26% of people, um, only buying cheap XBLA via downloads and everything else on disc is 47%, so that's the majority, uh, and people who want everything digitally uh, amounts to 26 again. Um, so it would seem that people like their small little XBLA games to be downloadable, but when it comes to their big Mass Effects and Halos and whatnot, um, they still want the discs. Mark, how would you uh, rate your opinion on that? I'm fine, really, with buying the smaller games, you know, the more disposable indie titles, the budget titles, the things that I'm happy to take just a sly punt on via digital download. And you'd have to say that it's it's got to be the future of gaming. I mean, we're already seeing with things like OnLive that you've got streaming and you're getting cloud storage. So digital distribution is very much the future of where we're heading. But I prefer still, like I think many said in the thread, to have that physical medium in my hand. I prefer to, to go into a store or, or just get it from... You know, an internet seller simply because you own that. At that moment, there's no doubt about where your rights lie. You as the consumer have got that product in your hands. It's yours. And the resale value is there as well. I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, where the profits go. And and some people complain that companies like Game weren't putting the money back into that gaming economy because the... The big gaming companies weren't seeing the money from the second-hand market. But generally, people who go into stores and then take in their games to trade them, they're getting money on in store credit or they're getting cash for them, whether they sell them on eBay or whatever. Generally, they tend to pump that money back into that economy. They tend to recycle the money. If you get 
20 pounds for a game that you, you know you've completed you're tending to put that towards you know buying a game for 35 pounds so it's it's all part of the same general cycle that i think some people don't fully take into account when they think about digital distribution i think we can use uh, steam as a, a kind of good benchmark to see how that um market might go in the future and at least in my experience I tend to find that I buy games and never really get around to playing them. I don't think I buy less or I'm buying um, more critically. I'm just buying because they're going down in, in, in crazy, ridiculous sales. Uh, if this is something that Microsoft can cotton on to, and I'm sure they, they, they've been looking at Steam and how they do things, um, I'm sure that the average gamer will basically do the same thing. They'll hoard games in a way that they never did before. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Steam is also always banded about as like the saviour of digital distribution or, or the way forward and stuff like that. And I mean, it gets mentioned in this uh, in this thread a lot. Um, but the, the, the problem is, A, we spoke about the, the infrastructure as well. You know, not everyone can download several gigs worth of data, but I suppose preloading can get around that. Um, but more to the point, Everyone always mentions the sales in in the Steam in with Steam stuff. Um, no one ever talks about buying the big games day and date um, and getting them for super cheap. It, it just happens to be that they have these amazing sales every now and again. Um, w- without the sales, would would Steam be that good? I think, in my experience, the sales are what kind of draw you to it, and then you suddenly realise just how convenient it is, and then you start thinking, well, this big release has come out, I might just go for it. Steve, you're uh, someone who doesn't have the best broadband connection in the world. How does the idea of uh, a digital-only future sit with you? It scares me. It's... <laughs> Any, anyone, who, anyone, who, anyone who listens to this podcast will know my internet is absolute crap. Um, I'm running on usually average speed, less than a, a, a megabyte of internet you know, per second. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm happy with my big stack of discs on my shelf. And the smell of a new game cannot be beaten. Is there a new game <laughs> smell? Oh yeah, definitely. Or or the p- thing telling you about seizures. Because they, they don't have instruction manuals anymore. <laughs> I've got to say, I'm over it. I'm over the shelf full of discs and having to store stuff. I'm, I just hate clutter and I got rid of all of my VHSs and all my DVDs years and years ago. And I've got no intention of uh, of ever having to store stuff like that ever again. This this future to me seems brilliant. Bring it on! I fully take on board what everyone's saying about convenience, and it, it pops up in the thread as well. Um, and downloading is certainly convenient, as um, you, Steve, said about. I think was it uh, Mass Effect Three or or was it Battlefield Three? But a title that you. You know, you got the key for straight away. You were downloading it. You didn't have to traverse into any shops. But when I own a physical medium, that's there. Um, I can play it whether my broadband goes down or not. Um, my my save files are there. I suppose that's a, a thing that a lot of people worry about with cloud storage as well. You know, what happens for you when you know your hard drive fails? Do you lose your games? For me to lose all my games, Steam would have to go out of business. For them to go fully out of business, that would mean no one would come in at the last minute to buy them out in the same way that the comic group have come in to, to take over game. Um, it's highly unlikely. And if it was, um, surely someone at Steam would hit the big red button that would just make sure that everything was free for everyone to, to use. So 
I don't know. Yes, it does pose a, an interesting question. What what if? Because you can never say never. But really, as it stands now, I can download what I need. So I don't need to have all of my 50 games, say, living on my hard drive at one time. Um, I just download the two games that I'm playing at one time and, and, and delete the rest. Is, is that any different, though? Than, I mean, at the moment, I have like 30-odd games underneath my TV. And, you know, that could be the equivalent of my Steam list or whatnot. Um, but I can cash that in and I can, you know, play the two that I want and then go away and trade in the other ones and maybe buy them again at a later date. Is that is that not a more flexible system than yeah. just having a list of downloads that you're forever owning and can't, can't change? The thing about that is it involves leaving the house. This is true. This is true. Um, so as a hermit who stays inside, <laughs> fears well, the it. outdoors... There was an interesting point raised in the thread, um, I think it was by DJ Sigma, who started the thread, about um, content being tied to particular accounts. You know, when you've bought something via a service which asks you to start up an account, often those purchases will be tied to your account. Oh, really? So therefore, purchases that are tied to, say, a gamer tag, if you get banned, you forfeit the right to then carry on you know playing those games you've basically lost everything at that point so it's it's a question of ownership and i think that's that's really interesting going forward as to whether you ever feel again that you'll fully own anything or whether you have to read the small print really really carefully that that sounds horrific at first but um I don't know. I don't know why it just jumped in my head. It might be the way to like fix Xbox Live. I mean, the one thing everyone hates about Xbox Live is that the anonymity just creates idiots, basically. Um, so you know, you, you get all sorts of stuff which people wouldn't say to your face over Xbox Live. Um, but more importantly, imagine if, if like you say, your game game tag got banned and you couldn't play any of your games, you'd be a lot more careful about how you acted online, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, th- I think I could handle the constrictions of the service if it, I don't know, ma- meant I could wear my headset on Xbox Live without going insane. I don't know, I think there would have to be varying degrees of discipline on that and it would mean you have to have uh, actively moderate it in the same way really that we moderate the forum. You'd have to have Mm. people that are lurking in games and just looking out for certain types of conduct. I mean, to ban someone permanently and meaning they forfeit their game catalogue would be a I'm sure that's dicey legal ground because I mean it's not a matter of law and order and uh, and so on and so forth. It's it's a difficult one, no? Oh, definitely. I'm not saying it's it's plausible or it'd be um, easy to to police, but I don't know. Part of me thinks that because completely off topic, obviously, but Xbox Live needs something to sort of rein it in a little bit is, with is, regards to the content. Is Xbox Live not moderated now? Are there people that? Well, that's debatable. Um, it is but you do um, hear stories of people being uh, banned because they've been caught doing something in a game and a, uh, a moderator or an observer has been there and seen it happen it's 20 million people though you know so it's hard to police it's, it's, it's impossible to police yeah of people. course yeah good point so. I think it's a really interesting idea that that by tying content and, and things that we've paid for to a particular gamer tag to an account that it will make people think a bit more about the way in which they game or, or perhaps abusive behaviour and the like that you know can be prevalent on various online gaming scenes. Um, but history does kind of show us that people already pay for the you know Xbox Live and people already pay for games and people already pay for various services 
and then go on to abuse them anyway and get banned because of it. Um, people complained about JTAG consoles getting banned. People complained about various things, um, ISPs clamping down on them. Um, ultimately, aren't people always going to just push that little bit further? I mean, this idea that, that perhaps because they've got £200 worth of games stored on a hard drive that's linked to them being able to log into a certain account that will automatically make them act a bit more saintly if not just simply a little bit more um, empathetically towards others I think perhaps is is a touch idealistic no I agree I, I think that the, the kind of person that tends to do that doesn't really weigh up the consequences before they've done it and of course when it does happen or when the, the axe does fall that's the time that they soon kick off let's say you know i buy a game today if i don't open it i can actually return it to the shop and get a full refund but wouldn't they have to put all of these sort of systems in place for digital distribution so that someone could by law aren't we allowed to ret return goods um under 28 days if we haven't used them or if they're as good as when sold so how would that apply with digital distribution are these all sorts of things which we're way behind on which haven't even been close to being implemented yet a great point and i'll be honest i don't even know how it works on steam they must have some sort of policy yeah, I mean, it differs from country to country. I mean, in America, that may not matter, but I mean, we have different consumer rights here, and I'm wondering, is digital distribution going to be hampered a little bit by those, or do we just need to get a lot more sophisticated in the way that we're delivering the product? Well, listener, if you have an opinion, feel free to make a post in the thread. We all read the threads. Uh, they're not always particularly uh, lively with comments, but we do read them. Definitely. What's everyone been playing this month, Mark? Uh, this month I've mainly been playing a bit of horror. Um, I've picked it up perhaps a month late, but I've certainly been enjoying The Darkness 2, and I know that Leon also has played this title. Can I ask you yep. both, just just how violent is The Darkness 2? <laughs> very. <laughs> it is certainly very violent. It is, it's comic book violence, um, but it's, it's insane, hyper-stylized very much over the top and, and at times very much hum humorous um, violence but it certainly is bloodthirsty and it, and it revels in just how gory it can be it's one of those games where you wouldn't want someone coming around and seeing you playing this if if you valued their opinion if you valued their opinion of you it's one of those titles where if you were trying to sell the medium as as an a valid art form it's not the game that you would automatically go to it's it's just absolutely insane violence picking goons up by legs and tearing them in two and punching holes through people's chests with a with a mad demonic tendril but they flesh it out with a few extra bells and whistles with experience points and the like and and the narrative draws you along but ultimately right at the very core of it has to be this real bloodthirsty streak of horror. How does it uh, compare to the first game? Uh, on par or, or has it outdone it in terms of gore? I'd say it's it's definitely moved things on from the first game in that regards. Um, because it's got a slightly more um, stylized graphic tone to it, um, the graphics are this kind of quasi-cell-shaded approach that ties it into the comic book nicely. To some extent, you could say that that slightly nullifies the edge, but somehow 
they've ramped up just how inventive you can get and by tying it into little things like experience points it feels that much more brutal you know throwing a ceiling fan to decapitate someone or, or chucking a pool cue like a javelin to spear someone through the head and pin them against the wall they've certainly made sure that there are enough different ways to kill people you get that wave of satisfaction from killing someone in a particularly grisly way you shouldn't really do but it's a guilty pleasure well it's all kind of justified under the the, the revenge um storyline is, is that carried through into the second the story does kind of struggle to replicate that same level of vendetta fueled um bloodthirsty streak you know you're a this mafiosa on a mission just to basically kill anyone in your path. It's old school FPS in the sense that you're not going to see any civilians in the town. You're not going to really have to pick your shots. It's anything in front of you, blast it. And for them to do that, they really needed to continue with what they'd already laid down, which was anyone there is essentially a bad guy. You don't really have to feel guilty for anything. Um, but they have to drive you forward, so they have to put into place some kind of a, a great sense of loss. And so it doesn't really follow normal games, traditional arcs of, you know, you're happy to start with, things go wrong, but then you pull it round at the end and then you head off into the sunset. This is, is very much in the, the Max Payne school of you start off fairly even to down and then you just descend further from there. And it's... It's, it's a great ride to follow that, just to, to disengage any sense that you really want this character to pull through as much as you simply want vengeance. You simply want to, to take out as many bad guys as possible. And so in that respect, it, it didn't really need to do anything beyond that which it does, which is just give you a reason, give you a couple of guns and then let you loose. It is good fun. Um, I don't know about the gore thing. I'm not sure whether this one is it, it's definitely more gory than the first I didn't play the first but I, I watched a lot of stuff beforehand to sort of get familiar with it um, but the art style kind of softens it a little bit for me um, you know that cartoony thing just detaches you a little bit hard outlines and everything whereas the first one went for a bit more realism which probably was a bit more shocking on the gore front from what I've seen um, but still like you say slashing people in half is it's pretty hardcore and they, they play up to the, the comic book um, roots a fair bit. I'm a comic book fan, but I, I must admit I've never actually got round to, to reading any. I mean, I, I like the storyline, or like at least the, the plots that I've heard about it, and the, the gore does fascinate me. And I think any gamer um, does feel quite drawn to it. It's just one of those games that I've, I've never quite felt the need to, to pick up. No, as you say, it's it's very much it's a rentable title. It's definitely one to to get out for a few days. It's the story doesn't really take you that long to get through. There are a few additions with these little vendetta missions where you can take on uh, players one of four characters, each with their own separate um, distinctive weapon. Um, but that doesn't really hold your attention for that long. It's it gets repetitive quite quickly. And it's, it's all about that just that initial thrill of the gameplay, that initial thrill of doing the forbidden, of being able to, to take out people in whatever way you want, um, so long as it's it's bloody fashion. But yeah, it's it's definitely more of a of a rental title rather than a full price one. Yeah, I was getting some Shutter Island feelings from it. Um, it's very, very like that film, the way they were setting it up. Um, and then it kind of just ends and you're like, oh, right, it's a bit rubbish. 
Um, like you say, it, do, it does fall off towards the end, but I, I enjoyed my time with it. Is it one you reviewed? Yep, I reviewed it for the site, and if anyone's interested, go to avforums.com forward slash gaming, and you'll see it there. Steve, what you've been playing this month? Uh, well, I've been restricted since I was my Xbox. I've just kindly given up the ghost when Game Station have gone into administration. Uh, so I've been stuck on the PS3 um, and the Wii. I've been playing the Mario Party 9 recently, which there's a review coming for that shortly. Uh, surprisingly, I quite enjoyed it, actually. Um, it's been good. It's It's been developed by a new uh, new developer this time, it's ND Cube Company. Um, it's the first time that they've developed it. It's a good little little niche party title, a good little casual gamer game, if, we'd, if I dare say that, uh, that phrase without being chased after by the Wii crowd um, I can't believe that up to number 9 I know it's it's like a like the now hits CD collection it's getting a bit long in the tooth and uh, what kind of variation have they introduced to the series after the ninth instalment um, I, I, I haven't really played many of the old titles but it's basically like a sort of Mario's own spin on Monopoly you know they've, they've kind of made it look a bit like you know uh, Super Smash Bros Brawl there's a lot of mini games where there's you know there's a lot of side scrolling, uh, you know shooting and a bit of Wii Sports. There's even a little bowling mini game in there, so there's there's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of variation which it keeps it quite fun actually. I mean, there were there were four of us playing it the other day and we I think we played it for three or four hours straight. So you know there's there's definitely enough you know variation in there with the different levels. There's all the you know the staple Mario, see you know sceneries and you know, the castle and Bowser and all that so Freddy sort of Mario fan, you know, it's it's a it's a perfect little game and especially at this time when there's, you know, not much out there. It's uh, it's a good little little title de- to de- fill the gap. Definitely one to play with friends though. Oh de- yeah, yeah. Uh, I've picked that up in the review, you know, like any sort of party game or, you know, compilation title, it's definitely enjoyed. Because it's never fun being beat by co- three computers, is it really? <laughs> but but other than that there's there's uh, there's nothing that has really taken my eye because I, I was going to reboot Skyrim the other day which is when the uh, the Xbox decided to finally uh, cough its last uh, breath what did you get uh, red red rings or yeah um... the, th- the three red rings alright how long has it lasted you uh, it's in Elite so whenever the Elites came out that's not a bad innings it'll be about, about, about two years now I think mm, yeah maybe you've not done too well then I, I did have one and it uh, gave up in the first week, so I think I've done uh, I've done quite well with this one. Leon, talk to me. What have you been playing this month? Um, aside from a mountain of Mass Effect, um, which we'll be coming want- to later, by the way. Indeed, um, I wanted something a little bit different just to cleanse my palate, so I went for Bayonetta. Ooh, yeah, that's that's a game. That's about as Japanese as they come. That game. I know, and Japanese games really aren't me. Um, but this, this is—it's it, a good game, though. Uh, you know, you were saying about the Wii and gamers' games. Yeah. This is a game through and through. I mean, it's so hard. You don't get hard games nowadays, but man, this game is kicking my ass around every corner. Um, but I really quite like it. But I also kind of hate it at the same time, because it's—it's kind of one of those games that you wouldn't want to show your family. You know, if you want to get people into games and, and show that they're not that crass, horrible, adolescent thing that you think they are, don't show them Bayonetta. Are you embarrassed by the nudity? Hey, I'm not embarrassed by it, but 
I wouldn't want my mum to watch me play it or anything like that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm sure your um, mum doesn't want to watch you play computer games anyway. Yeah, because so she probably wouldn't pay any difference, any, pay any uh, attention anyway. But um, yeah, I mean, there's some there's some stupid stuff. I mean, it's about a witch whose hair is magical and her clothes are her hair and they come off when she does special attacks and they take every opportunity for her to swing around a pole and her lollipops are her health sticks and stuff and she sucks them seductively and winks at the camera and says these lines of dialogue which are clearly written for 12 year olds um it's, but it's, it is, it's about as bonkers as it comes it is and to be honest when watching some of the cutscenes, i mean you're looking at it thinking who thinks of this stuff you know like it's just crazy but at the end of the day the game plays brilliantly i just love the combat i really do even though it's hard which i like hard games it's that simple i think games are too easy nowadays and i still enjoy the satisfaction from banging my head against a brick wall for 20 hours and then having five minutes of brilliance and basking in the glory have you actually beat the game no <laughs> in fact i'm about i don't think i've been halfway in and i've literally got to a, a boss now that you know when you pick up a boss fight and you just can't even contemplate how you're going to do it i never got round to getting very deep into that game i was in total awe of it but uh, the one thing i do remember was um a level which took place on the wing of a crashing airplane yep there's a lot of that a lot of falling stuff and you're having fights on it in slow motion um, it, it's just it's amazing absurd and brilliant at the same time I, I don't know I'm conflicted about it I, I don't want to like it but I, I just do Mark you're a big fan of these Japanese games um, in a time where is it right that Capcom and Konami are farming out their games to US developers I think it'd be really sad to see that style of Japanese bizarre gaming slowly ebb away but I think it is perhaps a sign of the financial times that we now live in that so many studios are looking to make sure they get at least reasonable success in all territories because you can get games where they can be smash hits in in the east or in the west um, but they probably don't make as much money as one that just gets a, a reasonable or even mediocre level of success everywhere if you get a game selling throughout Europe throughout America and throughout Japan at a at a medium level that's going to draw in a huge amount of money and it's you can then polish that formula you can then go on and and try and make something um better from there as you see with with franchises like your football franchise that sell so well everywhere um but it it would be sad because for so long, there were games that would be almost destined to become cult in different shores. Um, an FPS at a, at a given time, um, Japanese gamers would look at you as if you were mad if you said you liked a, an FPS. Uh, Xboxes didn't sell great there. Um, no one really looked at Halo as, as a groundbreaking title. At the same time, in Western uh, countries, stuff like the truly oddball Japanese games, as Leon said, Bayonetta, that kind of madness you just don't see anywhere else. Um, it's kitsch, vulgar, it can be insane, but it will almost always be unique. It doesn't have to follow any great sense. Game makers like Suda51 with, with titles like No More Heroes. It just has to be some kind of an artistic vision. It, and we tend to 
if those titles get farmed out we tend to water things down to a certain extent we look at focus groups we have beta testing we look to iron out through those um, through those different routes we're looking to iron out some of the bugs some of the kinks in the gameplay but often I think they actually iron out the distinctive ideas you know play testing if you look at some of the, the great Japanese games of recent years I think so often playtesting in the West would just iron out how hard some of them were, you know, and you end up with these franchises that are uh, jack of all trades, masters of none, with, with people just buying a FIFA title or, or modern warfare each year. I think it's just influence as well, isn't it? I mean, Japan's gone from being the centre of the video game industry um, to being less and less relevant. Um, that, that perhaps they were sat back on their laurels and I don't know, it's RPGs I suppose is the big genre, everyone Japanese RPGs used to be the massive thing, massive thing and all of a sudden the western RPGs have just completely taken them over, just leaps and bounds, um, so I guess they're looking to the west for how they're doing it to sort of maybe bring them back, but like you say, the thing which makes Japanese games Japanese is this craziness, it's, it's what's drawing me in I mean I, I don't really like Final Fantasy and to me Final Fantasy was Japanese gaming but now I've played Bayonetta and I'm, I'm looking around at stuff like Catherine and Shadows of the Damned and stuff that you know Japanese games aren't just Final Fantasy um, and I'd hate for them to become that massive corporate America like you say be a tested focus grouped because I mean if you wrote down Bayonetta and showed it to a focus group they'd probably have a fit um, but like you say, it works. It works. It's it's ugly. It's beautiful. It's pretty. It's all these different things in a package. But you can't take away the good without having the bad because somehow they they work together. Well, um, going from one Japanese game to another, Mark, you've just reviewed Yakuza. Yep, Yakuza Dead Souls. The reviews on the site now. Now, Yakuza is uh, a series that many gamers in the UK probably haven't heard of. So, uh, what's the backstory? Yeah, the Yakuza titles, um, they've had a reasonable level of success on these shores. Um, steadily built up a cult, but loyal following. They're a bit of a bit of a weird series, a, a mix of, um, I suppose you'd say, action RPG stroke brawler. It's, it's almost like the spiritual successor. And coming from Sega of Die Hard Arcade and Shenmue, We've got the the wander about. You have to find a lost kitten or or help someone out with some frankly pointless task in a town, and then you can wander into stores, have a little look at things, you know, buy health drinks and and play these mini games in, in spas and go bowling in batting cages. At the same time, as you're wandering about the city, you'll be accosted by ne'er do wells, and you have to get into that proper action melee street fighting brawler mode where you're you're throwing road signs and you're swinging iron bars at people and they've had a great well i say great they've had a good level of success with this and probably great in japan you could say um they've had a couple of offshoots uh the main series has spawned has got four in it right now so it's the original spawned three sequels yakuza dead souls though they've taken a bit of a bit of a sidestep from the the central premise of melee combat and they've thrown in gunplay and zombies um it, it's like someone's taken yakuza 4 and just said really well what if scenario and so therefore it's gone all a little bit resident evil um 
the camera can go over the shoulder so you're you're wandering through darkened hallways at various points you know you use a a torch you're lighting the way even though you can actually see so it's not really like silent hill it's all very much uh, a lighter version of those kind of survival horror titles but the problem is is that there are some issues with the camera and the aiming so that you'd actually be probably better off sticking to run and gun fun you know it, it gets repetitive but running through these hordes of the undead and and letting off volleys of shotgun fire and in small doses it really does stay as this quite captivating experience it it holds your attention in those little 10 minute blasts of i'm gonna mow down a load but it does have as i said it does have issues with the camera it's all a little bit clunky it feels like a game that they've tried to tried to keep the soul of the yakuza series and throw in the zombies and because Kamurocho, the the fictional Tokyo district that it's set in, slowly becomes quarantined. The amount of the city that you can actually really wander around becomes less, and so it becomes very much a split title of well, what is it? Is it is it a little weird fun RPG in the in the human um, occupied areas, and then a sandbox killathon in the zombie areas? It, it probably is but at the end of the day they're, they're zombies and we just love taking them down with chainsaws with shotguns and you can still as a yak as a staple swing a bicycle at one of their heads why do, why do we all love zombies we love zombies because they look like real people but you can kill them without any sense of guilt or remorse it sounds good to me. The thing is, um, it seems the easy choice now for a video game to do as a, a DLC, a zombie mode, or a uh, a zombie skin, or, or, or something. It seems to be so common in video games, yet we all still love it. It's wearing thin for me. Really? You think there. so? Yeah, for me, personally, it's getting there at this point. It's like Red Dead Redemption on the zombie thing, Call of Duty zombies. It's just, the, like I say, it's just the go-to thing for everything at the minute. It's almost like, uh, you know, that Pirates versus Ninjas meme. It's kind of getting to that level for me now. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of think of it as a genre almost in its own right. I, I love zombies, bit. and I, I love the fiction of it, and I love the the fiction that could actually be reality, really, if you think about it in a kind of very um, detached way it is something that could potentially happen and just the idea of being one of the last survivors and people, zombies chasing you without ever getting bored or tired just that relentless hunt oh it's scary, horrible it is like the ultimate what if scenario it's it's the perfect sandbox setting for any kind of game it's it's almost made for video games because there are no established rules when you're creating a a universe for a video game normally like with gta or something else you have to think about law enforcement you have to think about various things that you couldn't do in everyday life that people would say well that's unrealistic whereas in zombie games it's the ultimate what if scenario where no one can say well you can't go in that house why no one's going to stop me you can't walk there you can't do this you can't wander down the street with a samurai sword in one hand and a shotgun in the other 
no one's going to stop you. So therefore, it is the perfect, um, you know, playground for you to just do whatever you want in. And at the and at the end of the day, you get to take out hordes of the undead, hordes of these humanoid-looking flesh bags, and it isn't actually a negative thing. It's actually a positive one. But also, it's like that thing as a, you know, as a kid, you used to play forts and um, you know things like that, and it's almost a kind of grown-up idea of that that you'd have to corner yourself in somewhere, and and of course, you, the, the famous movie where everyone shacks up in a shopping mall, which kind of should have this almost unlimited resources there to to survive. I, I think um, I think that genre gets me every time. I, it always always draws me in. Yeah, everyone always thinks to themselves. What would I do in that situation? I don't know anyone who hasn't had some kind of a vague thought about having seen some post-apocalyptic zombie film of what would I do? And they all make the, cl- the classic mistake of going towards civilization and going towards um, food and supplies or getting guns. No one ever goes for a MIG welder. Now, I'm just saying, if you cross the zombie genre with the A-Team, then you've got a hell of a film. A-Team <laughs> <laughs> zombie defense. Is that what we're saying? I think you just created a game there. Yeah. So moving on, we move on to the controversial subject of the Mass Effect 3 ending. Um, Listener, I'm going to do the ultimate sacrifice for you. I'm going to allow Leon to reveal the ending of the game to me off air. So no spoilers. You don't need to worry about us ruining anything uh, for you. Um, But at least this way I get to have a natural reaction to it and see if uh, the internet rage is justified or whether it's all a a bit of bother over nothing. Um, We'll be back after this. Okay, I've scraped my jaw off the floor, um, <laughs> and we welcome wel- welcome back uh, Mark, who didn't want to hear the spoilers. Um, that felt good, by the way. That felt really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, fair to say that the ending hasn't gone down well with the gaming community, Leon. Yes. Um, now, it all depends on your perspective. I say this in the review, which is up now, um, but... It depends on what you're expecting from Mass Effect 3. I mean, I wasn't really expecting what people seem to be missing. I mean, everyone seems to want... You know those... I think it's Animal House. I've heard it on a few other podcasts and stuff where at the end it says, George became a lawyer and went on to do successful cases in this, this and that and freeze frames and someone looks at the camera. You know, they, they kind of want them to bookend absolutely everything in the universe, which, let's be honest, is impossible because it's absolutely massive. It's the most ambitious thing that they've ever tried to do. Um... If, if they had had the types of choices that people want... And that, was never, their, that was never their plan either, really. Sorry to interrupt, exactly. but it was never their plan to close the book on the Mass Effect universe. Yeah, and, and, and just, just the way that people wanted to go out, it, that they couldn't make a game that massive. You know, if the choices were so devastating to the universe um, and, and so right turns every five minutes, then they'd still be making the game now, do you know what I mean? Um, but for me... I've said it to a million people when I've had this conversation. I think they were closing Mass Effect 3 from the second it started. It, it, it was closing off points in the storyline, like the Geth problem, um, the Krogan genophage, um, 
the Quarians and, and all that sort of stuff. That there was loads of different threads within the story that they made you resolve, which gave me enough sense of closure. Also, like the character stories as well from Mass Effect 2. There were a lot of character stories. Um, they close off those really well, and that was enough closure for me. Yes, the end of the game is not massively great. I liked it, kind of. The option that I chose, I, I really liked it. Um, but I can see why people might be a little bit deflated by it if they're expecting, I don't know, a three-hour ending which wrapped up the entire universe. Now that you've told me, um, I mean, I don't feel particularly shocked by it. And to be honest, the other games have um, kind of led you to this place anyway. You know, you're always making decisions that are not necessarily easy decisions and that's the whole point of the game it's it's there to have these different threads and to have these kind of um dilemmas as it were uh okay maybe these aren't the dilemmas that people were expecting that they were going to have but um i think when you buy into a series you kind of have to let the writers and the developers um go with what they feel is right for the for the series and I don't have any problem with it at all, to be honest with you. I mean, it's it's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, I probably should have asked you actually um, what you chose because it doesn't really matter to me now. But uh, I chose the middle one, the the, the yep. one that sounded the most interesting. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, which I, I really liked. Um, and if anybody's, as I think Steve mentioned when we were offline, it's a carbon copy. of Literally, it sounds like even, a safe even, bet. To be fair, it is. Even the way they present it to you. Um, it's it's just ex- it's so uncanny. It's exactly the same. I don't know whether there was I don't, I don't say copying, but it's just too much of a coincidence to not to not mean anything. Um, but I, I think it's a good thing that people are getting so. It means people are invested. You know, um, people are getting so up in arms about it, which is a good thing in a way because it shows that people care. Um, a- absolutely, but, it's, it is a good thing. And have have the developers actually responded? They have. Um, if, if I was them, I'd have, I'd have told people to stick it. Um, but they have come in and said that we will address these issues in the DLC. They haven't specifically said we're going to change the ending, but they've said we're taking it all on board and hopefully some of these issues will be addressed. Um, personally, I would have said, look, we wrote the game, not you. Suck it up and uh, wait for the DLC, which may explain more. Don't get me wrong, I want to, I want to know more about it. I don't, it's not that I don't have questions. I don't feel completely satisfied by it. I still have issues and questions and who, what happened to this person and what happened in this. Um, but I, I respect Bioware enough to let them make the decisions and not try and force them by donating money to charity, which while it's, it's a wonderful wonderful uh, charity to donate to, and I have no problem with that, I, I don't think we should be trying to strong-arm developers because it, it sets a dangerous precedent. precedent. Yeah, just explain the, the, the whole thing with uh, the charity. Um yeah, so it's called Retake Mass Effect. Um, they basically set up like a Child's Play deal. Uh, Child's Play is the charity which does stuff for uh, children who are ill and gives them like games consoles to play in hospital. And a good cause, a really good cause. It's a brilliant cause, um, don't get me wrong. And, and, and all the more money to them, the better. Um, I mean, um, before they ended it, it got to 80 grand in US dollars. So it's, it's a sizable amount of money. It's big money. It's big money. Um, and it shows how <laughs> passionate some people feel about this. It does, but at the same time, I, I just can't stand behind something which just usurps the creative influence of the person who created it. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think I should be able to have a say. I can have an opinion. 
I, I can say whether I liked it or not, but I can't demand that they change it. That's not how it works. You don't go to a film and, and then at the end go right to Mr. Spielberg and say, I'm sorry, I didn't like that. Could you change the ending, please? No, of course not. The whole undertone does sound very immature, um, but it, it's still astonishing the, the movement behind it. Yeah, and like I say, it just shows that people care. It, it really does. Um, I would say that the word that has been banded around is entitled. People feel very entitled. They have put so much time into this game. They have put so much time into Shepard. They are invested that they feel entitled to a better ending or a different type of ending. Um, again, I, I don't think anybody's entitled to anything. I think it is what it is. You either like it or you don't. Mark, you're still very much in the dark about the uh, conclusion to the Mass Effect trilogy. What's your take on the whole situation? Yeah, I mean, as Leon's review says, it, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Um, I, I think that some people are perhaps a bit underwhelmed simply because their expectations were unnecessarily and unrealistically heightened by the amount of time they've plumbed into these games. I mean, when you consider that this is this is a pretty massive trilogy. I mean, people have plumbed in through some with multiple playthroughs, hundreds of hours in here. And you just think, what kind of an ending realistically could have been seen as a payoff for all that? And I, I don't really care that greatly about how the saga ends. I mean, I want sci-fi. I want... You know, the shooting, I want the branching storylines, the choices, the decisions. They're giving you, Bioware are giving you all of this. They're giving you a game on a scale, the likes of which isn't generally made. It's certainly not in the sci-fi universe. This absolutely phenomenal synth score, the whole atmosphere of the game is almost peerless. I would struggle to think of a, of a title that has the same aura the same feel when you first boot up as you first hear that score kick in something inside you just tingles and it i just feel it's a bit churlish to complain about the ending if if all you're playing it for is that ending then why really why are you complaining so much you know why have you been playing these titles why have you been putting so much time into them what alternatives do you have in the market right now Bioware have given you so many plus points in this title that if you want another FPS, you want a, a, an FPS to play with friends, you don't like Modern Warfare 3, I'll buy, buy Battlefield 3. If you don't like Pro Evo, you can go and play FIFA. This is it. This is Bioware are giving you something the likes of which no one else is actually making right now. And if what you're complaining about is that you've had several hundred hours of enjoyment but the final, you know, five minutes didn't live up to your expectations, then, you know, things are slightly skewed there. You've been playing it for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I can... The, the story I tell to sort of point out to people how I think about the game is yes the overall storyline is great and you can agree or disagree with it but it's the characters that really matter and, and without spoiling it I'll explain it I mean there's one point in the game where you're having a conversation with someone and you're resolving one of these big issues of the game and uh, something happens and then at the end it's the equivalent of you can catch somebody or not and I was I put the controller down and I was just watching it and it, I did that classic thing where I was having a sip of tea or something and I saw a paragon option come up on the screen and I went oh, juggled my controller and, and I missed it and somebody died and I sat there and went oh my god 
that person has died, that they're gone, they're, they're not coming back. Do, do I resave and do the whole mission again? Do I let it play out and just see what happens after that? And I was really conflicted and really disappointed that I wasn't paying attention and that I, I just lost somebody um, because I'd missed a Paragon option. And, and that's what Mass Effect is good at. Because I cared about what that character is, I cared about what happened in that instant. Um, and, and, and that's where the, the role-playing comes in. And that's where the just the empathising with the whole game. And that's what draws you in. It's, it's so deep. It's not how the whole story ends up you know as somebody wiser than me put in the wonderful strap line it's not the destination it's the journey that matters stay you um you listened uh, in with me on the uh ending from leon uh, what's your take on it yeah i mean as i don't i mean like i said i think everyone's entitled to their opinion about the ending i think you know trying to force bioware's hand into changing it i think that's you know completely wrong i mean the amount of time i could pour into skyrim you know i could pay you know, put 200 hours into it and be disappointed in ending, but, you know, I've enjoyed the rest of the game. I'd, I don't mind if, you know, the ending's poor. But if you, if you think about the second game, especially, you know, you can see kind of how it was going to end already, because like Leon says, the the start, the the end is starting from the beginning of the third game. Um, I mean, the you know, it's the, it's the content, well, we're always going to be a trilogy. I mean, like I said, you know, the, some of it were going to happen, you know, like, some, and we, we we mentioned it, didn't we, when we spoke about this last month, you know, it, it, the first half hour, hour of the game seems to be introducing all of the old favourites back in again, and it it, it it just felt from the off that um, you were going to go and close all of those individual loops before the ultimate loop, which is, um, of course, the conclusion of the game. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's just one of them things, you know, they've thought, you know, it's... Rather than a, a massive controversial ending, they've thought this this way of doing it, you know, will probably you know suit everyone better. I mean, obviously, it hasn't suited quite a few people, but it's it's just how it it's just come to a natural end. You know, there's no there's probably no other better way of doing it because if you ask the people who you're complaining about it, you ask them how it should end. A lot of the response are probably a bit I don't know because there's not a right or wrong answer to it really. It it just seems incredibly presumptuous as well. I mean, you know, we're the consumer and we can have our product in our hand and, and say what we would change. But, you know, in the reality of it, let, let's think about this. It's a, it's a, a third game in the series. New people are going to be playing Mass Effect 3. It had to be playable from game three. Therefore, decisions you made in the last two games simply couldn't be that ginormous because somebody who'd pick up the third game should be able to just put it in and get a similar ending. Um, just for resources and stuff like that, they can't create three different games just to appease all different types of people that are playing it. Um, but even beyond that, I, th- I think it's just it's kind of devaluing the achievement. That's what that's what really grinds my gears about it. I think they've really done done well. You know, everybody's wanted this sort of stuff where um, saves go through games and you're playing a character through multiple editions of a game and it, it builds up to a big crescendo at the end. And let's be honest, this is version one of it. This is the first time that someone's done it in such a grand way, and they're going to get better at it. Maybe the next trilogy they will do will have more branching diversions and more variation in the end and more variation in this. But to be honest, version one, I think they've done a pretty good job. And if I was them, I would be sitting here thinking, why the hell is everyone moaning so much? Because this is quite an achievement. Um, and I, I don't think I don't think they're getting enough enough getting their dues for it. Let's say I think this it's been overshadowed by this, which quite frankly is a vocal minority. It's funny when you um, when you spoke about uh, missing your Paragon queue and uh, a character dying. I was reminded of the f- the first time I ever felt loss of a uh, 
a com- computer generated buddy. I was playing. It must have been Championship Manager. I don't know what, what it was. Eh? Wait, I don't think you're going to say champ you know? No, I know it's the most bizarre thing. I must have been about nine years old, and it was a football management game on the PC. And I had a star player, and every season he would score goal after goal. And we'd risen through the the leagues together, and like he was my guy. And one day I got a fax saying that he'd been st- he'd been struck by lightning, and he had passed away. <laughs> I swear to God, that is a true story. What a fax in real life or in the game? In the game, <laughs> everything was, was everything was done by real... a fax back back then. I thought they were going to say like heavy rain or something. No, oh dear. <laughs> and I, I was managers. absolutely. I was nine years old. and I was absolutely devastated. That scared him for life. That. Could you just go back a save or something? Well, probably. He got he in got fact, run, he got run over next time. To be fair, <laughs> in the game you could. Um, you could dial a number on the fax machine and it would turn whatever player you had in the goalkeeping position into the most amazing goalkeeper ever. So you could just keep creating these goalkeepers and selling them for big money. So it wasn't really a big deal. I could get another player and it was just... They kept getting struck by lightning though. I'd never heard of anything like... Whoever put that in the game (laughs) is a dark, dark, morbid human being. You didn't feel like putting together an internet petition and getting... 80,000 of your best friends together. I think it would, have been, a, it. It would have been a BBS back then. and <laughs> Internet weren't uh, around back then, were yeah. it? No, there was BBSs and everyone was uh, too busy exchanging page three pictures to um, got behind a movement like that, I think. Yeah, people had better things to do with their time, which, sorry, I'm, I'm getting opinionated on it now. It, it's really got my goat, this whole retake Mass Effect thing, because I love Mass Effect and I think people are just being pretty ungrateful about it personally. I, I suspect Bioware probably sitting there thinking you know mission accomplished They're, they'll be delighted with the sales and they'll be delighted with the response because after all you know there is no bad publicity yeah definitely the press release smacks of that it's kind of like oh we're, we're taking this all on board but you know what hey why don't you buy our dlc and uh, maybe it'll get a bit better for you <laughs> it's kind of like okay guys thanks <laughs> it's gonna say the dlc release is gonna be interesting isn't it <laughs> If they try and make people pay for it, the internet's just going to blow up again. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Fl- flaming torches and pitchforks and... Indeed, yeah. indeed. I mean, I, I'm, I'm currently typing up a furious blog post, which is just me shouting at the internet. So look out for that. Yeah, you can catch me on <laughs> excellent blog on the site. I highly recommend it. It's well worth uh, a minute of your time. Okay, that brings us to the end of this month's show. Um, I've been Steve Hill, and uh, big thanks to Mark, Leon, and Steve. Cheers, Steve. Cheers. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you again next month. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Forums podcast is copyright M2N Limited.